If you have your Bibles, you want to open up to Psalm 52 this morning, or excuse me, 51. We're going to be there in just a few minutes. We're going to take a look at this passage, but um, this is a result passage. Um, you know what that means, a result passage? It means something happened, and then the writer actually wrote this, this passage. In this, this particular case, it's David. Uh, if you're familiar with David in the Old Testament, you'll know, I mean, David... He is like, you know, he's like Superman in the Old Testament. I mean, he is the one that we learn is after God's own heart. He's the one that was handpicked to be the king. And David, uh, we find in the Old Testament, I mean, David, he has such stature uh, in God's eyes. And yet, this morning, as we'll discover, there was a descent. There was a detour. There was kind of a, a sidetrack that occurred in David's life. Uh, but if we, if we read the story of David, and, and what we're going to talk about this morning is actually found in 2 Samuel 11th and 12th chapter. And you can read that on your own. We don't have time necessary to walk through it all. But I want to give you a little bit of overview of the situation that leads to the result passage, okay? So, uh, so that's what I'd like to do this morning. David, we would find David, if you would think of words that would describe David, you would think of words like integrity, David was, we find, somebody after God's own heart, that he had this level of integrity in how he led the troops that he commanded, how he led his kingdom, how he grew his kingdom, and also how he accomplished the tasks that were laid before him when he became king. So that would be a word. Connection would be a word we would think of with David because we find that outside, after like Moses in that time, we find David would be this guy, a nonprofit who was connected with God the clearest. And so he had this, this connectedness going on here. And so, and then we finally, we would say he had a power that God offered him a, quite a level of power. He was a king. He was the highest rank in the land. And he was a king that his kingdom grew under his time. And so we would say these were, these were type of things. Now, if I look at those type of things, I would say this guy was really living it up. I mean, he was living a pretty good life, and I would say he's alive. He's alive in those three things. In fact, think about your own life. If there's a time where you've been at a certain place where you would add these words or certain words of your own in, and you would say, man, I was really alive. Life was really good. I was up here at this point. That's what David is at. That's where he's at. So uh, in 2 Samuel 11 and 12, we find out that there is a battle going on, a war, and often, really just about all the times, the king would go out and lead the troops into battle. Often the, the king would lead the troop and then he would stand at a distance and kind of strategize the battle. Sometimes we learn that the king was right there on the forefront of the battle, sword in hand. But we find that in this time, David chose not to go out at all. He stayed back at the palace. So he, he remained back is what we find out with David. And that, we're going to learn, that's the first start, step. Why did he remain back in this instant? We don't totally know from Scripture, but we get the hint from Scripture that this was something out of the norm and this is something that David wouldn't have normally done. He stayed back. Maybe all we can say is because he could. Because he could. He was allowed to make that type of call. He was allowed to say that. If he says, I'm not going into battle, you guys go fight the battle, I'm going to hang back at the palace, we find that he can do that because he can. He can make that choice. We find later, though, on the passage, as he's, his, he's uh, home, he uh, eyes this very beautiful girl, uh, somebody he, he saw right off, and you would say, you know, he 
he kind of had the hots for her right away. And he thought, I need to know this girl right away. One big problem, right? What was the problem? <laughs> she was married. Right? She was married. And she was married to who? She was married to one of the foot soldiers who he had just sent out to fight. And so that's the, kind of the situation. So he's home from battle. He sees the, this, this girl, right? And as he sees her, he's really attracted to her. And you would think at this point, somebody with this integrity, connection, and power, like the, the bell would go off in his head and he would say, stop. Just, just stop where you're at, all right? You had a few fleeting thoughts here. You kind of thought about something you shouldn't have thought about. Just chill it out. Let's end this right now. And we can go on. I can, you know, kind of confess before God and, and get this right. But uh, I haven't gone out and hurt anyone or caused any mess. And you would say, stop, right? Stop. Well, we find this isn't the case. Isn't the case. He continues on and he invites this girl over for a dinner. Um, and we find out later... It's a dinner with some extra activity involved afterwards. And so that's what happens. So instead of David saying stop and following, he actually invites this girl over and seduces to whatever degree a king would have to seduce. I mean, the power to just say, you know, hey, we're, you know, we're going back in the other room. And there wasn't a lot of grounds for Bathsheba here to say, you know, no, no, no way. I'm, I, I can't do that. Even though we get glimpses in the scripture that that's was what she was feeling the whole time. And so it continues, right? And guess what happens? Pregnancy happens. She sends word to the palace that she is pregnant. And since her husband is gone, couldn't have been him, right? And you would think at this point, now we have something tangible in front of it. You'd think at this point that the light bulb would really go off, that this would be like rock bottom for David, right? And he would say, oh, man, I've totally blown it here. And the, the bell would go off, and he would say, stop. But he doesn't do that, does he? He doesn't do that. He, gets, he concocts a little plan in his head, and he says, you know what I'll do is I will call her husband Uriah home from the battle. And I will tell him, look, take a little leave. You've earned it. And go spend some time with your wife. Now, a husband coming home from uh, months of battle, being with his wife, it would, it would be understandable to think that there would be some husband-wife relations going on, right? And then David could go away and he could say, hey, you know, not my kid, not my kid. And everything would be back to normal, right? So he invites Uriah to the palace, right? And this was been... This has been out of the norm. I mean, this is a foot soldier, and the king is summoning the foot soldier to the palace, right? And he tells you, right, look, go, go home. I want you to go spend some time with your wife. David goes off, and he goes to bed for the night. And guess what? He wakes up the next morning, and guess where Uriah is? He's sleeping on the steps of the palace. And David said, what are you doing? I told you, go, go home, spend some time with your wife. And he says, how can I go home and be with my wife when... You know, my fellow countrymen are out fighting a battle. I need to go back and be in the battle. And so David, he tries again with Uriah there, and he actually uh, throws a little kind of party on his behalf, and he gets him drunk here. I mean, I don't know how, how that happens, but, you know, how do you refuse the king when he says, have another, have another, have another? And he tells Uriah, now go home and spend some time with your wife he wakes up the next morning, and guess where Uriah is? The steps of the palace. Steps of the palace. 
He says, I got to go back to the battle. I can't go home and be with my wife when my countrymen are out fighting for us. Plan didn't work. And so David decided that he would send a letter now. And this letter he sends to Joab, who is commanding the army, right? And this letter that he sends to Joab, it says, this is what I want you to do. I want you to go into the fiercest, the fiercest spot of battle going on. And once you're there, I want Uriah at the point, And I want you to bring all the other troops back. Have them all retreat. Just make sure Uriah doesn't know what's going on. Could you imagine the commander getting this letter and reading it and thinking, what? One of the good guys? One of my best guys? You, you want me to essentially have him executed? And that's what the letter... Now, you would think that as David is writing this letter, or his scribe is writing and he's reciting, you would think once the words came out of his mouth that the bell would go off in his head, right? And he would say, stop, stop, stop the descent, I keep going down. Just stop. Remember where I was. Integrity, connection, power. You could think of several other words to describe David. But the descent continues, and the letter is sent. And when the letter is received and the orders are carried out, we find that Uriah is out at the point. And while he's out at the point, everyone retreats around him, and he looks around and goes, Oh, no, bad situation. And he's killed. He's dead. And so when word gets back to David that this is done, you would think once again that David would say, what did I just do? This is not like going out and fighting a battle with the enemy and being somebody who killed the enemy. This is my guy. I sent out to purposely be to kill defenseless. You would think he'd say, you got to stop. Come clean. Confess. Own up to what you've done. Understand your state and where you've dropped to. But he doesn't do that. You know what he does? He calls Bathsheba and he says, Hey, time to come to the palace. You're my wife now. Hey, I understand your husband's dead. He's gone. So, you know, legally we can make this thing happen. And, and they become husband and wife. Now we find in scripture that it's not like once Uriah is dead and the word gets there that she comes running to the palace and says, Oh, now we can be together. She wasn't a willing party in this at all. And yet David continues this where he takes her as his wife. David's got really nothing going well in his life at this point. And the, the, the interesting thing is once you start a descent like this, it's amazing how all of the good things were going in life, the, they wiped away and you focus on this descent and on this place that you've taken yourself to in David's situation this this line downward but he's got one friend his name is nathan and this friend comes to him and he said let me tell you a story david all right there is a rich guy he's rich he's got all kinds of cattle he can he can you know take any cattle and and serve any meal he wants he's got lots of kids and and uh he's basically rich in terms of the day and yet he has a neighbor who has almost nothing no land, no, no cattle, uh, nothing really in the, in the area of grain. But they've got this one goat. In fact, the one goat was actually a family goat. In fact, the, the Bible actually tells us it was a, a, a goat that wasn't to be slaughtered. It's kind of like a family pet. You have some of those, you know? You ever have a family pet that like sleeps in your bed with you? Yeah. I don't get it. I don't get it at all. <laughs> 
I mean, I, I hear Sierra, my six-year-old, come to the bed, you know, and, you know, it's like no sympathy in the middle of the night. So, <laughs> tough. Get back to your bed. So it's down the hall. It's first door on the right. Head down. But this was like a family pet, right? And yet we learn in the story, Nathan's telling this story to David, and he says, the rich guy was inviting uh, a very special guest to his house. And he didn't quite have what he wanted. He didn't, want, he didn't have it quite how, perfect. And so instead of making something out of his riches, he snuck into the, the house of the neighbor and they stole that animal and they slaughtered it and fed it for that dinner of the special guest. Now, David, he can hardly even let Nathan finish the story. And he says, he says this, is, this is terrible. This can't happen. That guy should be put to death after he repays four times, then put him to death. And guess what Nathan does? He points at David and he says, you're the guy. You're the guy. And all of a sudden, this hits. This story of Nathan hits him. And this story says, David, stop. Quit it. Look back on your descent. Look at where you've been going. Look at this track. You are a man of integrity before God. You are a man with connection to God like nobody else. You are a man that the Lord offered power and authority, and you've come all the way down to this point. Just stop. I told you Psalm 51 was a result passage. David, out of where Nathan finally took him to, out of what was exposed before his own eyes, David wrote Psalm 51. And when he writes this passage, you can actually see what he's dealing with and the remorse and the depth of what he's, of what he's done. You see, Jesus actually, before we read Psalm 51, Jesus actually speaks about this as well. When he's talking with people, Jesus already knows that at times people will descend down into the depths. Why? Well, much like David, because we can. Because we're given free choice and we can make our choices. We can say, I'm going to do this or I'm not going to do this, and that we descend into depths sometimes. I mean, there, are, there are men that the way they've, treated their wives and their kids, they talked to them or treated them physically sometimes, or maybe just it's just disconnect with the family, and we start this descent down. It's sometimes parents, you know, it, it's the way we have engaged with our kids and the way we've cared for our kids and raised our kids, and, and we look back and we said, man, I started that descent Maybe you're a business person and you run the business or you have a, a significant spot where you oversee people and you tell people you need to do this or that or whatever. And it's, if we look back, we've seen sometimes the descent comes in. Why any of those? Well, often because we can. We can. We have the choice and we make the choice. I learned this week that up to, statistics up to 17% of Christians will cheat on their taxes. Cheat on their taxes. Why? Well, because we can. We can. It's easy to change something, right? And it's such an insignificant number. Who's ever going to audit us, right? Because we can. And the descent begins. And you're smart enough, folks, to, to right away start to put your own descent, if you're there, into your head. You right away, you're able to say, do I fit in sometimes with this? Well, I've never called a lady over and had adultery. Um, or, or maybe you have. 
but there could be another descent. And Jesus knows about this, and it's why he speaks these words in John 10.10. He says, look, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. The thief comes to cause this descent. It comes to cause trouble. It comes to eliminate something, in David's case, this integrity, connection, and power, to eliminate that, and this is what it leaves. That's what Jesus is saying here. Second part of the verse, he says, I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. And Jesus is saying, look, I understand that this, you know what it leads to? It leads to what Nathan said when when he shared the story and then David responded, that person should be put to death. He said, that's you, David. Jesus understands that it leads to death. But I have come, Jesus says, to give you life, to make you alive. And so David finally, finally gets this. And check it out as we, as we read the passages in Psalm 51. Here's what it says. If, if you take a look at it, or you can see it on the screen. He starts out and he says, Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love. Have mercy on me. Now, if you like to watch court shows and things like that, you'll notice, have mercy on me never happens until the sentence comes down, Right? <laughs> right? I mean, until the sentence comes down, I'm going to beat it. There's some loophole. I can find some way out of this. The sentence comes down, and it's, oh, have mercy on me. Now, we don't necessarily get a, a sense that the whole sentence has been handed down on David as of yet, but certainly he's dug a big hole that he's sitting in here. But he says, have mercy on me. Can I tell you something this morning? Don't ever be afraid to stop where you're at and say, Lord, have mercy on me to cry out to the Lord for mercy. I don't know about your friends. I don't know about your family. I don't know about the world that you may be connected with the rest of your life. But I can tell you one thing, that God's word is clear that God offers mercy, compassion, and forgiveness all the way through this book. Always cry out to mercy. If you're in that point where you say, man, I've descended. I'm in some depths in my life. Look at what else he says in the scripture in verse uh, 3. He says, For I know my transgressions, and catch this, and my sin is always before me. Ever feel like that? My sin is always before me. I can't get over it. This, this guy one time I talked to, and he said, he came to me, and, and uh, he was somewhat whimpering, and he said, You know, Tom, I, I beat my wife. I said, What? What are you talking about? You beat your wife. I was hoping he thought, was thinking metaphorically here, but uh, no, he said, he beat it. I said, well, what, do you, what have you done about that? What's going on with that? He started to walk through and tell me about, well, I, you know, I confessed before her and I said it was wrong. I'm never going to do it again. I went to see counseling and got help for that, help for my anger and help for my situation in that I've lived several years clean of this and we have a healthy and good relationship. And actually in my head, I'm kind of like, okay, well, what are you telling me this for? <laughs> you found this. He said, because it haunts me. It haunts me all the time. The image of me doing that to my spouse. See, David has this same haunting when he looks back on this and he thinks about the spear or sword or dagger going through Uriah and he's got this image in his head and he writes, my sin is always before me. I'm always thinking about it. It's always in front of me. It's always defeating me. It's, it's always a burden to me. In verse seven though, he says this, cleanse me. With hyssop, he said, that was a ceremonial thing. And I will be clean. Wash me, and I will be whiter than snow. 
Now, coming from Chicago, I, I know what whiter than snow is. And I know in North Carolina, you, you, you know, you see a little bit of it every once in a while. But I'm talking about when you look out on the morning and it's a fresh snow and everything is clear and white and pure. And that's what he's talking about here. If you cleanse me, God, the sin that's ever before me, the thing that just weighs on me and the burden that I deal with day in and day out, you can wipe it away. You can cleanse me and make me new. In verse 10, he's in the same passage, he says, Create in me a pure heart, O Lord, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. And now we can see David is saying, create something new in me. Change me. What we just, what we just walked through with baptism is a symbol of somebody saying, make me new. Now, there was a time where each of those people said in their own hearts, I'm ready to follow Jesus. Forgive me of my sins. Come into my life. Make me new. And the, and the baptism was the symbolism of that for the body of believers to see. And that's what David is seeing. I mean, think about it. if David's walking down this path, he's responsible for adultery, right? He's responsible for, for death here. And he's responsible for covering up at almost every stage down the road here. And yet he's saying, create in me a clean heart, God. I don't want to ever walk down any descent like this again in my life. Don't just forgive me. Don't just say you're clean, you're forgiven, it's okay, go on, live well. Help me to never come close to this again. I want to live here. Do you ever feel that in your life sometimes? Where you just say, I don't want to just wipe it away. I want to never come close to living that way ever again in my life. That's what David's crying out here. And then he's, David says this in verse 13, and then I will teach transgressors your ways and sinners will turn back to you. He says, God, if you'll do this for me, create in me a new heart, guess what? I'll spend my life sharing who you are. I'll spend my days sharing about you. And then finally in verse 15, this is what I like the most. He says, oh Lord, open my lips and my mouth will declare your praise. You see, David is not looking for a quick one-time fix. David's not looking for just a quick kind of one-time emotional experience and say, oh, you know, that was really cool. I really was impacted. I felt kind of moved, and I I felt all googly inside. That's not what David's looking for. David's saying, I want it totally new. I want my life transformed entirely. I want everything different. I don't ever want to go down this path again. And in the future, what I want it to look like is I want to start from here, and I want the line to be heading up. That's what David's saying in this psalm here, create a new heart, and then my lips, they'll praise you. They'll give you the glory and praise all the time because of what you've created in me. This morning, our whole hope is that you would experience some type of coming alive in your life. You see, as, as people, we often live somewhat of a dead life. We go day to day, and we just kind of function, and we make it through. We, we battle in our marriage and just kind of, kind of hang on, sometimes just for the kids. We work a job that, that we hate sometimes, and, and we look around, and we wonder, well, who is really my, my close connections and my close people? And, and when we look in these areas, we kind of feel like, man, I'm just kind of living like this, this mundane type of existence. And Jesus says, look, I never designed you to live that. I designed you to experience life. And so on Easter, all over the world, people will be sharing messages like this because the hope is that in Christ that we can become alive, that we can be something different and something new 
and something clean this morning. And so for the next couple of minutes, I want to just give you the time to kind of reflect and to, to, to just share with God or talk with God. They're going to sing through the Jesus paid it all a, a few more times, the, the verse. And as they're doing this, I would encourage you, you could close your eyes. You can use our, our, our two steps up here. With, if you're new with us, we just call it our altar up here. And, and we just come and use it just like it was an altar and maybe a, you know, a big cathedral. And you can come and use this and, and lay before God. This is a time you can use the card that we gave you to say, you know, this is what the Lord is doing in my life. Please, please pray for me in this area. This, I'd like to be discipled. I'd like to learn more about Jesus. You can mark that on the card. And we'd love to connect with you. Remember, Jesus was, or David wasn't looking for just a, a one-time little emotional deal. He was looking for life change. And we encourage you, if you're looking for that this morning, use this time to start the journey. And then we'll come alongside you and we'll help you in that. Listen to these words as they sing.